Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good morning, everybody. This is Kevin Combs, Vice President here at McKinney Favell. Today, I'm filling in for our fearless leader, Michael Coughlin, who decided to take vacation on spring break. But hey, that's normal. It seems like he takes vacation a lot anyway. So <laughs> joining me today, I have Nicole Thomas, also Vice President of McKinney Favell, who is also supposed to be taking in some vacation and spring break time. But let's notice here. Someone is dedicated and is attending the podcast anyway. <laughs> How you doing, Nicole? I'm doing great. You know, my son isn't happy about that. You know, he's like, I don't care about a USDA report. Hey. But it's kind of miserable here anyway in St. Louis. So Miserable Friday WASD days, of course, because they're always yeah. my favorite when they uh, cram these in on a Friday for us. Why not yes. Monday? They could have done it on Monday the 11th. Yeah. But, I don't know if you want to start your week off on that note, though. You well, know. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's good. But yeah. speaking of crappy, it is opening day for baseball. Everyone in St. Louis is normally pretty excited, but yet uh, you're getting some snow. Yeah, actually, it was yesterday. And um, I, I seriously consider taking my son. You know, it's a rite of passage, born and raised in St. Louis, multiple generations of family born and raised in St. Louis to, uh, you know, if not actually go to the game, you definitely have to be aware that the game is going and they they did well they i think the final score was 9-0 against pittsburgh all right but it was like i think the high yesterday was 53 degrees so uh i told the little guy there is no way we're gonna sit out there (laughs) (laughs) today we will uh we'll have some we'll have another st louis favorite and and eat some bandanas and catch catch the game on tv how about that all right. Well, out here on the West Coast, you know, Giants fans are always excited and they did really well last year. And I think, uh, you know, today is their opening day. That's why I went with opening day. But, yeah. Uh, a lot of excitement over in Oakland. Not so much. And, uh, you know, we pretty much sold off half of our team again. So we're on the rebuild and I'm, I'm sure we'll be back in two or three years competing for the uh, American League West. But What's your prediction for the Cardinals, Nicole? Is this a 100-win team, 90-win team? We are going to the World Series. And I I say that because of three players. Mark this tape now. Yes, mark it. Mark it. I I am confident. I know baseball better than football. Well, I know the Cardinals. (laughs) I I I can bank on the Cardinals more than I can the Steelers. So we got Wainwright pitching. He's going to do great this season. And then we have back in town Albert Pujols. <laughs> so between Pujols and the third player Molina, getting back together, the band is back together again. We are going to the World Series this year. All right, this, this put it on paper. I don't know. A couple of these guys sound like they're on the fair circuit now, based on their age. But I'll, I'll take your yeah. word for it. <laughs> as a as a more mature adult, I can appreciate that. <laughs> Awesome. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, enough on the baseball talk. Let's move on to the Wasty report. And uh, what did you see out there in the greens? Anything exciting? You know, it's easier for me to predict the Cardinals going to the World Series than it is to predict where corn prices are going to 
going to uh, top out at this year. Yeah, of course. So from a was from a WASD standpoint, there was no change to the ending stocks number for U.S. corn. That still sits at 1.44 billion bushels. But there were some offsetting changes in, in demand. Feed and residual use down 25 million bushels, offset by an increase to ethanol consumption of 25 million bushels. Don't disagree with either of those. You know, we have avian uh, avian flu is running rampant in the upper Midwest right now. Even seeing seeing some of that in the southeast. Some culling taking place in the egg layer sector in that upper Midwest portion of the country. So I could not only you know justify this reduction we saw today, but there may be future declines to uh, that feed category as a result of that. And especially if it if it spreads in a major way to the southeast and gets to the where most of the broiler operations are. So that's something to follow. And then, of course, ethanol demand's been been strong. Uh, we're seeing these monthly production numbers that, you know, rival uh, where we were pre-COVID levels. So certainly makes sense on on both ends there but you know overall not seeing seeing any any growth in um ending stocks uh so we'll we'll watch to see in the in the coming months how exports kind of play out and if we see a little more demand there or a little more demand in in the ethanol category how much of that can be offset by declining demand in the feed category so time will tell there Then from a global standpoint, (laughs) corn stocks are at 305.5 million tons. That's up 5 million from the March report. Puts us up about 13 million from 2020-21. Any changes with Ukraine situation? Yeah, you know, and this is the interesting thing. So those adjustments included a 2 million increase, 2 million ton increase to Brazilian production, which makes sense, falls right in line with with the CONAB projections at this point. But the other increases to production were were minimal and um, coming from, you know, the EU, Southeast Asia, areas that aren't really known to be major producers and or exporters of, of corn. And and that that makes me a little nervous. They did reduce Ukrainian exports by four and a half million tons to 23 million. Some might argue that number could come down additionally. But I think and, and you know, to a degree, some of this strength in the futures uh, market today for corn related to, you know, I think really from the market's perspective, you're. <sighs> You're losing sort of your your weight towards these WASD reports because they're, they're, the information presented is a little delayed relative to what the market already knows. And arguably also there was a sharp reduction in, in global wheat ending stocks. They took that down by about 3 million tons. Um, and I don't pretend to be the wheat expert. We don't have uh, Eric here today to, to share his thoughts on that. And I'm sure he could give a much more colorful colorful view of of what all that means but uh some of that probably playing into that futures activity as well but i think the bottom line is when it comes to corn we are far from you know certain or comfortable (laughs) uh be it the global perspective be it domestic uh plantings there was some news out that uh uh some of the the covet related lockdowns in the uh Jilin uh, province of China is preventing corn planting there and some of that pre-fill work necessary. And that region is roughly 10% of Chinese corn production in any given year. 
So, and that, you know, even looking forward to the 22-23 year, and we'll, we'll get our first look at those projections next month. There's a lot to be determined in the space of corn uh, over the next few months. It's a silly season. Get the it planning is. going and every, uh, every weather threat, every dry period. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk about that moisture ah. deficit uh in in canada and the u.s right now um we'll save we'll save that for another friday to ruin people's weekends um and then as far as soy is concerned now they did reduce uh domestic soybean ending stocks uh by 25 million bushels to uh 260 million actually feels falls pretty much in line with analyst expectations Uh, i think the average guess there was 262 million so we we were pretty pretty close to that number. And the change there was due to a likewise increase in, in export demand that now sits at 2.115 billion. Interestingly, if you look at cumulative soybean sales as of yesterday's report, which would have been numbers as of March 31st, even with this uh, upward revision, that puts our cumulative soybean sales at about 97.5% of that total which is well ahead of uh, kind of where we usually are this at, at this time in the marketing year. So that's a number that could certainly go up too, especially with the, the issues we've had in South America, which I guess is sort of a, a perfect segue into the global balance sheet. Ending stocks only lowered modestly. 89, a little over 89 and a half million tons for 21-22, down 13% from the year prior. But that keeps our stocks of use bullish at 17.3%. And the interesting thing there, uh, kind of getting back to timing of putting together numbers for this report, USDA put Brazilian uh, soybean production at 125 million tons just, just a day or two ago. CONAB put their projection out. And they have it closer to 122, a little over 122 million tons. So there's easily another 3 million tons to be removed out of that ending stocks number that we just don't see there yet. Um, and some of that, uh, some of the rationale or, or one of the reasons why that stocks number didn't come down by much was uh, Chinese imports were lowered by 3 million tons to 91 million, which, you know, offset uh, a similar reduction in expected exports from Brazil. And Chinese crush margins have been pretty horrible for the last few months. How's that? Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> we don't know these things here. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, you know, less demand for, for soybeans on their part uh, makes sense. But I, again, I, you know, and even looking at the market today, we're up double digits in, in soybean futures. I think, you know, the market's kind of saying, yeah, that's that's all fine and dandy, but we're still, we're pretty tight and probably tighter yet than what's, what's being shown on, on the balance sheet at the moment. And then for soybean oil, now finally starting to see pressure come on those ending stocks. They were reduced by 100 million pounds to 1.976 billion uh, for the current marketing year. The sole change on the balance sheet there was uh, the, an increase to export demand. They've got that at 1.725 billion now. And when you look at the total commitments for soybean oil exports, you're, we're currently at about 81% of that number. So again, could see you know additional increases in that category. What they did not touch was food use or biofuel. And for me, those are two big 
sort of dark cloud sitting over the balance sheet <laughs> that we probably won't see materialize in the numbers until, you know, late summer. You know, from the biofuel standpoint, it's a, it's a hard number to peg anyway. But with uh, some of these, uh, as I, I talked about in the webinar, with some of these discussions around limiting imports of, of crude oil out of Russia and that expanding to other countries that thus far anyway had, had not agreed to, to get in on that, that you can make the case that you may see a little more biodiesel demand globally to offset some of that and a little more uh, export demand out of the U.S. that would support, you know, maybe even a stronger number than that 10.7 billion pounds we have allocated for that for that category right now. And then from a food use standpoint, I mean, you know, any user of edible oils right now will tell you this is a short, tight market. So the number that sits on the balance sheet today just doesn't doesn't seem to fully capture what reality is, especially when you consider that category is showing a decline relative to 2021. And in 2021, we didn't have any issues with canola. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 2122, we do. So that that or let alone sunflower oil in the global market. Uh, and unfortunately, that category is just one that's not discussed in this report. You're starting to depress our listeners here, Nicole. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm sorry. That's what I do on Fridays. So <laughs> bottom line is uh, still st- today's report, you know, from a historical standpoint, minimal changes wouldn't be that impactful on things. But I think, again, the bigger story is, you know, and in fairness to to USDA, these are unprecedented times. There's a a lot of factors, a lot of variables to be considered. Uh, And I think the market is just, you know, kind of relying more on the latest news, uh, what's what's coming out of Ukraine to, you know, what's happening with the weather and, and, and starting to kind of run the numbers on the balance sheets themselves for 22, 23 to to get some indication of where prices should be going at this point so that's what i got nice depressing commentary because if nothing else i want to support the spirits industry um domestically and and get (laughs) get people looking forward to happy hour on friday well (laughs) thinking about happy hour you know sugar is uh right there because a lot of people are uh negotiating sugar right now and Mm -hmm. Seeing a lot of business start to get booked uh, this week, a little bit last week as well. But uh, I think uh, I think the WASD report is going to kind of support some of those people that uh, have decided to book early here and, and put the sugar to bed because the USDA came out with a little bit of a bullish report today. Mm. It lowered stocks 125,000 tons. It's not severe, but you know we've now dropped the uh, stocks to use ratio at 12.5%. And, you know, that came about really both from a supply and a demand situation. Uh, Supply, they lowered production, 75,000 tons. You know, Michigan had put out a letter basically letting people know the sugar content didn't come in at the end of the season. They ended up uh, short on production. I think the beat number reflected that down 51,000 tons. And the only little boost was a little bit on uh, imports, which was all high tier imports, given Mm -hmm. that we're short. You see a little bit more uh, imports coming in and and paying the duty to get here. So uh, very, very small offset. And uh, 
that 12.5% stocks to use ratio, you know, below the target 13 and a half becomes a little, a uh, little bit worrisome. And of course, the question I always get on that, Nicole, is does that mean the USDA will do something to increase supplies? Will they increase the TRQ? Good question. It's a great question. There was uh, some rumors that uh, they had put out an announcement saying that nothing was forthcoming at this point in time. So that would, you know, surprise me if they did because they really can't do anything until after April 1st anyway. And I think they still have a large chunk of the TRQ uh, reassignments to take care of. They're currently forecasting a TRQ shortfall of 230,000 tons. So I think over the next uh, 30 to 45 days, you're going to see them address that situation. But uh, we'll have to see if they go anywhere else. But the good news uh, came south of the border. They did raise uh, Mexico's production, which, you know, the weekly numbers have been phenomenal over the last month. They raised production 188,000 tons. So that means if we do need sugar, you know, we can certainly turn to our uh, partner in trade down to the south. And uh, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to take advantage of these prices and uh, get good prices versus setting that sugar to the world market. So, Gotcha. Deliveries up 2% year on year. What do you think? That seem uh, reasonable deliveries domestically up roughly two percent year on year. Seem reasonable. You know that's a great question, and I would like to have a better answer than I don't know. Um, It seems a little strong with the numbers we have seen, but uh, usually USDA usually put out the SMD report, which would show the deliveries ahead of WASDI by one to two days, so I have a chance to comb through those and and digest what they're seeing and the data they're looking at but this last uh, 12 months that has not been the case regularly and this month it definitely wasn't so i don't have a good look at uh, what those delivery figures are and what uh, they're basing those numbers off of but you know we we see a mixed bag i do have customers that are strong and uh, pulling sugar ahead on contracts but we also run into the customers that you know need steel for cans they need different uh, inputs to make other products. They get production delays and they're not mm-hmm. running full steam. So it seems like a mixed bag. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to agree that uh, we're going to be up that 2% at this point in time. But, uh, you know, being in the industry, it'd be nice to have some growth, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. Supply chain issues. What do you mean? Those aren't <laughs> occurring. There's no problem getting, you know, cups that actually say you're, restaurant's name on them or you know, the, <laughs> the the one thing i have seen on sugar that supports a little bit of this would be uh you know the customers having trouble getting products like dextrose too so mm-hmm. that can be a little bit of an offset between those two ingredients but nothing to get a two percent increase after we've been fairly flat uh growth wise here for the past five six years gotcha i just want you to say some depressing uh, information, so it's not all on my shoulders. That's all. Nah. <laughs> I'm looking for some balance. Well, the, de- the depressing, the depressing news on sugar is for for all those that are are using it and buying it is prices are up. The great mm-hmm. news for growers are prices are up. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, all about perspective. I'm gonna make somebody okay. happy today, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> we try. All right. We definitely try. Well, that's that's pretty much it on sugar. Anything else you uh, you got in store for our listeners today, Nicole? Or we can uh, move on. No, I think we can move on. And of course, you know, past the Wazdi day, of course, markets 
market will be more focused on geo the geopolitical situation than anything else. So I saw some stuff come ac- across the wire this morning that was uh, speaking of depressing, pretty, pretty sad, uh, devastating scenario that continues in Ukraine. And we'll just continue to watch week by week what the planning progress scenario is. If uh, we continue to see struggle exports coming out. And I would just say, you know, as far as any of these reports go, that that sort of information is probably going to be more meaningful to price action than, you know, your weekly export report or something to that of that persuasion. So All right. keep your eyes um, open. Yep. I just encourage everyone, if you have any questions on the sugar market with it heating up and getting real active, get in touch with your uh, McKinney Clavel rep and we'd be happy to help you. And other than that, I want to thank everyone for listening in. And uh, just a reminder here, uh, we are having our spring seminar in Oak Brook, Illinois to talk about all commodities that we cover. So uh, Nicole will be talking on grains. I'll be there for sugar. Craig on oils, Eric on wheat. We'll have a special uh, risk management from Sean. So please uh, take a look at our website if you have any interest in uh, joining us. We're going to be offering that both in person and virtually this year. So again, Uh April 27th in Oak Brook, Illinois. Be there if you can. And that's it for today. So uh, thanks for joining in our weekly Hot Fonny CADcast. And uh, Until next time, as Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. Take care. Bye. See you. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.